Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 100 of the Dance Principles United podcast. This was an absolutely epic episode, so much so that I had to split it into two lots because it went on for so long because there was so much great stuff to share. Um, Just want to do a little bit of an apology at the start. Um, Even with all the bells and whistles that I take to record these things, I had a bit of a microphone malfunction myself. So some of the um, audio on my own recording for my voice um, is a little bit tinny and I apologize for that. But the overall podcast was full of gold. Um, So sit back and enjoy episode 100 of the Dance Principles United podcast. Hello friends, I'm Amanda Barr and I'm Rebecca Lou Brennan and welcome to Dance Principles United, the podcast. Together, we are passionate about helping studio owners with the business of running their studio. Join us as we talk everything from marketing systems, studio culture, motherhood, life and everything in between. This is the Dance Principles United podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a super, super special episode of the Dance Principles United podcast. It is episode 100. Can you oh, my that? God. I actually cannot believe that when you said it to us yesterday. <laughs> like, I also can't believe that we're all in the same room together. So for episode 100, I think that's epically amazing on both ends. Meant to be, right? Meant to be. Because that's what we did. Yeah, the stars absolutely aligned. So what we thought for this super special 100th episode, we like, tossed around a heap of ideas but we thought, you know what? We thought for the hundredth episode something that would be really, really special, and that a lot of people have been asking for for quite a long time is getting the full backstory on Amanda and Beck and dance studio owner <laughs> journey. So that is what we've decided to go for for our hundredth episode here. And look, to be honest, guys, this could be what this could even be a two-parter. We're going to see how it goes because you know what it's like. You might not know what it's like as much as me, but when we get these two on a roll and chatting, a lot of magic happens. Let's be honest, a lot of magic happens. But sometimes we are. Sometimes we we keep going. Especially with a glass of champagne. Exactly. Especially with a glass of champagne. um, As we're enjoying things here in Bali, as we're here um, on our own retreat for our own learning, for our own business development and growth, which we all know is super important. And that's where we all met as well. But... Without further ado, guys, let's get into some questions. So I'm just going to sort of go. These guys don't even know sort of the questions I've got ready for either. So this is all this is all um, sort of new to them as well. But let's start with you, Beck. If you can just give everybody the the crib notes, the short version of before your dance studio, before your dance studio owner journey, um, like your journey into dance. How did you start dancing? Your mum bringing up the classes, I'm sure, somewhere. Um, what was that for you? Oh wow. That is huge. Um, yeah, mum got me into dance when I was four, I think. And I, I actually, she kind of put me in everything. She was one of those mums that I had karate, dance, piano, like did something on every day. And then I think when I was about seven or eight, she said pick one and I picked dance. Well, I did do piano as well, to be fair. And then I went and watched a friend in a quite serious dance school's concert and said to my mum, I want to dance like them. And that's why I got into a serious school and then danced ballet. So I did like 25 hours of ballet a week. Yeah, it was a very serious ballet school um, and got my RAD teaching certificate with them. I was teaching from age 14 in that ballet school. So yeah. Dreams of being a professional ballet dancer? 
Uh, yes, but I tore my cruciate in my knee, so that completely oh. ruins that. Sorry, I took over um, the questions, Nathan. But yes, no, big dreams. And it was yeah. a very full-on environment. Like we were, I don't know if you've ever been, heard stories about ballet schools, but it was very yeah, epic. I don't want to say horrible things about people, yeah. but it was a very regimented. It was old, that old school mentality of how we Correct. treated dancers. And we evolved, yeah. Yes. Well, we actually had two different studio owners. So one studio owner was quite beautiful and lovely and the other one was quite regimented. But I appreciate it because she taught me so much about ballet and dance and all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you... Yeah, I think the epic thing was I actually started teaching classes on my own at 14. Like I always that had that. Yeah, it okay. is now. But to be fair, I'm watching BB now and she's around the same age and she's just a born teacher. Mm. And I feel like I was this, you know how you get kids who are just born teachers? Mm. I was very much the same. I was just a born teacher that just got it. And I think I just obviously had that in me from a young age. There you go. Amazing. Amanda, how about you? How did you get into dance, your sort of dance journey as a kid growing up? Um, I think I started about four. I'm not 100% sure. Um, Would have to ask my mother for that answer. Um, But started in the local school hall with Mm. quite a well-known local person down in our area, Rosalind Boothroyd, who was a bit of a yeah, a bit of an icon in some ways in the industry um, at the time. I started just doing, you know, the one class a week or whatever that was um, and grew quite quickly to be, you know, in the comp teams, all the things. It was mainly just jazz and tap. Uh, we did musical theatre as well, um, but no ballet, would you believe? She, absolutely, I know, right? Shock horror. And she's actually a ballet examiner. Yeah. But she didn't teach ballet in her studio, which I don't, I don't know if it was a financial reason or what it was, but I didn't actually do ballet um, until I changed studios when I was about 12. Um, so, yeah, really, you know, all about it. I know it cost my mum and dad so much money. My mum, who used to hide the money from my dad, like, you right. know. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> things are changed, right? Like how things used to happen. Um, but yeah, huge amounts of money because I was the one that was in every class, had solos in every single style, doing, you know, 15 solos at the comps because you had eight tap solos or whatever ridiculous amount that you'd have uh, with all the different kind of tap genres. Um, Yeah, that was till I was about 12, uh, 13 maybe. Then I wanted to change to a more uh, elite kind of studio in the area. Um, And I kind of tried that on for a little while. Wasn't really for me. I tried a few different places um, and ended up just really taking open classes from when I was about 15. Really? Um, I was teaching at about 14. But, um, and managing a studio. Yeah, and, and like I presume that's kind of the next question, so I'll hold on to that. But um, yeah, I kind of uh, realised that between that age of, it sounds silly, right? But between about 12 and 15, I was like, oops, was it the wrong studio? This isn't going to happen for me. I'm never going to be a dancer. Yeah, right. Um, love taking an open class, love doing that kind of stuff. But um, I think I, to be honest, chose the wrong studio. Um, but I was never a good enough dancer to be a dancer. But like you, I was a born teacher. Yeah, right. And could see it 
Yeah. Guys, my mum cleaned the studio to mm. pay for my dance lessons. Yeah. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I started my own piano school. Don't even know if I've told you to this. Mm. Um, and so I had my own school from age 13 to 18 and I was making gun money. Like, I think I was charging $25 for half hour, which back in the day, oh, yeah, that's like that was really good money. So I was making lots of money and then started paying for my own dance lessons mm. through teaching dance and teaching piano. So every day I had off dance, I would teach piano. Crazy. There you go. So your first business. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here when it comes to like business ownership, but that was, yeah, first business. Correct. And I, I think I did the same too with math tutoring from about 16, 17 up and yeah, back in the day when it was just cash money and uh, Yeah, gone. how crazy is that? <laughs> okay, amazing. So Beck, we'll start with you again. Tell us about, cause you know, most people don't go straight from being a dancer in class to owning a studio. Tell us about how did you sort of start teaching slash working in the dance studio that you started out at? Yeah, cool. So I actually worked in retail block, um, well, all different types of retail actually as a retail manager, um, as well as teaching in the night. So I guess I've always had a pretty good work ethic, but I literally would work retail from 7.30 in the morning till six and then I'd teach and then I taught all day Saturday, which was my day off from uh, retail. So I guess from that, I then started working at schools in Penrith. I don't even know why. I think the RAD just called me up and said they need ballet teachers. So I started teaching there. And then the school that I bought, which became Pause, um, I was teaching full-time there for ages um, and she offered it to me and I bought it for $14,000. Oh, wow. And it had 72 students when I bought it. Amazing. We'll circle back to the 72 students you started with. And uh, how about you uh, coming from that age of, yeah, sort of doing your classes to starting to work in the dance studio, whether it's teaching, admin, that sort of thing? Yeah, so I started teaching, I think, at 13, 14, like really young classes by myself. I don't think I ever even assisted. I think I just kind of got thrown in there. Yes. Yeah, um, and was teaching the classes quite young. Um, I was teaching at a studio that I was kind of dancing at, but as I kind of mentioned, I was also kind of dancing at a few studios, plus doing open classes. Um, but I was definitely a part of that studio, but it wasn't something that I'd grown, I hadn't grown up in that studio. I'd only been there since I was about 12, 13. Um, and I was sort of teaching, I was doing all the things there. Um, he kept adding more and more classes because I was reliable and actually showed up um, and, and doing all the things. Um, I was doing that for a little while at the age of, I think it was just before I turned 15, he asked me to manage the studio. Insane. Crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they had a full-time studio manager. Um, I don't know whether it really was full-time or whether it was how many hours a week, but that's definitely how it was presented to me. I was obviously still in school. She left um, and under some interesting circumstances and he asked me to take on the role as studio manager, which was uh, flattering, interesting in retrospect. I was like, yeah, I'm up to this. I'm up to this. Like, okay, so this, this is, because... we're, talking like, we're talking late 90s too, guys. So for the, yeah. some of the yeah. studio owners listening, that was before the internet. <laughs> hey. like, you could, no, but like, you like today, like at, at our location, we it was probably contact, like ninety nine or exactly. ninety eight or ninety nine. You can be in contact yeah. super easy. People didn't even have mobiles, but like, you, yeah, you can't be going into the studio software and checking things no. remotely. Like it was leaving me and uh, 
in charge. Yeah, the studio owner uh, lived quite a distance away. He wasn't there and wasn't part of the studio. Uh, so I was doing everything from invoicing, taking all the fees, doing the timetable, uh, checking in on the teachers and calling him to report on the teachers as well as teaching uniform stock takes, talking to all the parents. I was doing everything after school um, and I did that for about a year or so um, until he asked me to buy it. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll come back to that. So I feel like we're like leaving people on the hook, Brent. That's a good thing. <laughs> so jumping back to you, Beck, you mentioned $14,000. You bought the studio, 70 odd students. We're talking 2004, yeah? We said before, yeah. 2004, 2005. Um, so let's, let's maybe talk about that first maybe couple of years, maybe that first four to five years. When you started, What? how did you feel? Like, did you feel like you were ready to take over a studio? Was it a steep learning curve? Well, I definitely didn't know what I was doing. I certainly was passionate about teaching dance. I was great at teaching dance and great at getting kids to be a great level. And I think that transition almost happened with that studio owner because I was teaching better than them in a sense. So kids were requesting me for privates over them and they kind of sifted out of it that way, I guess. By this point? Gosh, Amanda, it's it's the date mass that's always the killer, isn't it? Twenty five. Okay, yeah, I was just kind of thinking you, you were an adult, yeah. Yeah, yeah, young yeah. Adult, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I wasn't Absolutely. like you. God. Yeah. No, and I'd been teaching in schools mm. full time since I was yeah fourteen, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so she said she wanted to sell, and so oh yeah, the two years. Um, I think I was great at teaching kids and terrible at everything else is probably the answer to your question, Nathan. And I don't think I got leads in. I don't think I I don't think I did any of the things at all. Um, But kids were coming to pause because I was getting results. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say you were providing an incredible product. Yes. Because yeah, it's one thing like, and obviously we talk about so much of what we're doing here in Bench Principles Zone about marketing, leads, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, any, even the best marketing only gets you so far if your product yeah. is a shit hot, basically. Yes, and I did have a lot of kids come from schools I'd been teaching at in the past, yeah. you know, to that school because they knew that I was yeah. teaching there full time. So I guess there was a lot of that happening as well. Did you retain those first 75? Did they all pretty much stay on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you grew? Like what kind of number? Do you remember or you don't even know what the numbers were because it wasn't something you tracked? I doubt we grew very much, to mm. be completely honest. If we did, it wouldn't have been hugely mm. so. Yeah. What was, trying to like think back to that time, what would a typical day look like in those sort of first five years? Was it just literally like wake up, choreograph, you like just fully focused on Sorry, all I'm things in class? So chilled. Like, I feel like I like. <laughs> Got up really late. I mean, I didn't have kids either, right? So I feel like I like got up late, probably like chilled out a bit, watched a bit of daytime TV, <laughs> like the morning show. I'm not really a prepper for choreography and teaching, never have been. And I don't need, didn't need to be. Like I was getting great results without that. I also feel the room. Shannon Atkins, I were talking about this the other day. But I also feel the room and like I feel like, I do so much better when I just feel the room and teach that way. So I don't prep at all um, and never have. And so, yeah, I just think I chilled 
which is probably why my business never grew, <laughs> like to be completely fair. Yeah. Um, but, but this I, is the real story we're telling, It right? is the real story, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do remember my admin person at the time and I were obsessed with the cooking show that we used to watch at two o'clock before we went to ready set cook so yeah we would just like watch that like honestly i did not work hard at all yeah and the people used to bring like five ingredients in a bat sorry that we're really going off like, <laughs> yeah, so, was i was uh, in air quotes doing university at the time too. So <laughs> I, was, I was obviously working hard on my assignment like, during that same time um yeah amazing amazing so back to menda your, tell us about you taking over the studio, um, slash buying the studio, and the first four to five years of ownership and how that all panned out. So, I took over the studio in 2001. I was, from memory, managing it like 99, 2000, and there was a bit of a break until I bought it. Whilst I was managing it, whilst I felt like I was doing a great job, I was only given a great job with the tools I was given. Mm. And I think the studio was on its downhill slope. Um, you know, to be honest, you know, he's put a 14, 15 year old in as manager, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I was doing the best I could um, and I was retaining the current students we had and doing the best I could with, you know, invoicing them and doing those things. but. Um, I think he, you know, he'd lost focus. He'd lost interest in the business, uh, so it wasn't growing. Um, and then I think I had a period of not working there for about six months um, until he called me up and said, "Hey, I think you should buy the studio." And you know, what fifteen-year-old doesn't go? Oh, of course, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> uh, this man was about, you know, like 60 years old at the time, like, and he's like, you will be amazing. And he's a very well-respected person in our industry. Um, and I was like, yeah. He's like, you are just so natural at this. You've got this. You're amazing. You should do it. Obviously, I was like incredibly flattered, of course. Um, so went to my parents and went, hey, I know that I'm in high school, but will you help me buy a dance studio? It's what I've always wanted to do. It's always been my dream. Um, I have uh, very amazing parents um, who have always done a lot for me. Um, he wanted us to purchase it for $1. So I literally bought the studio for $1. Get real. Now, the reason for that was he, he wanted to walk away and he, was, uh, he couldn't get out of his lease. Right. So he wanted someone to take over his lease. He also had a make good cause uh, clause, excuse me. Um, so he he wanted someone. He had to have a financial amount, so it was a dollar um, to right. buy the studio from him. However, my parents were like, okay, well if you're gonna do it, let's do it properly. Let's put in. I think they put in about twenty five thousand. Uh, let's do up the building. Let's put the marketing in. Let's do it. We'll loan you this money. Let's go all in. Um, so we did that. Uh, look, by twist of fate, um, the other studio uh, in town happened to close. That exact, that exact same school holidays that I took over. They didn't know that that's what's happening. It just kind of happened. Um, when we bought the studio, we were told there was about 70 kids. When I got in and looked at the books, there was about 14. Because well, you'd had that break. I'd had the break. I hadn't been working there. Right. Uh, so there was only about 14 left. Um, however, we took over in the June school holidays. Uh, we opened with 80 after doing a big marketing campaign. Uh, we finished the first year on uh, 160, I believe. Wow. 
And I guess, you know, the first couple of years, um, I was in high school, I was in year 11. Uh, my parents, uh, one stipulation that they helped me was that I finished high school. Um, but mum took time out of uh, her businesses to help support me and did help um, in the studio at that time as well. So we kind of did it uh, together. Um, I was doing, you know, excuse me, sir, in maths class, I just really need to go to the bathroom so I could go and uh, make phone calls and uh, answer parent inquiries in the bathrooms at school in year 11. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and do all the things. Um, but yeah, as you said, it was a different time, right? Like mm. it, was a, it was a lot different. Um, but we grew the studio really fast because uh, my parents, like, if you're going to do this, they, they have no dance background. Uh, however, they've owned multiple businesses and have uh, some very successful businesses now. Um, they're like, you're going to do this, you're going to do it properly. And my mum had no dance knowledge, but was like, customer service, let's know our numbers, let's, you know, all of those things. And so she taught me that along the way. Her and I ran it uh, together. Sorry, this might be long-winded. Uh, her and I ran it together for the first few years um, and she just paid me a wage uh, through it. Um, I then had to save that money to pay them back for the 25K uh, that I borrowed um, and she basically stepped away about a year after I finished high school when I bought the business off them uh, because I was 18 now and could actually legally own the business, pay them back the money and we kind of like um, then sort of went from there as well. Absolutely. And I can probably provide a little bit more context because Mandy and I, for those that don't know listening, we are high school sweethearts. Oh, God, that's oh, a sorry, terrible that's a word. Terrible <laughs> we, we have been together since. Nathan was with me the whole time, yeah. like through so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I right. the opening of Dance Sensations, even though I didn't come to start working in it till uh, quite a few years later. But yeah, it started out, um, Dance Sensations was in kind of just the one studio space, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, we had uh, one studio space to start with. I think after about year three, we moved to two spaces. We renovated and did two spaces. Um, and then three studios uh, within probably about uh, four years. Um, and we've pretty quickly got to about oh, maybe that uh, 300 mark until we moved locations again. Within um, the same town. Yeah, in the same town um, and then grew from there. Um, when I was sort of about you know, 21 or something and took on a new bigger lease. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, crazy, right? And back, probably just going back, the when you bought Falls, was it the same building you're in, you're in now currently or was it no. the other location? It's that third building we're in now. So that first one, was it one studio space, two studio spaces? Two, I think. Yeah, two. Then I think we moved to three. And now I've got four. Now we're moving to six. Well, hang on, hang on. Hang happening. on, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Right. So, this is going to be the world's longest podcast. Really <laughs> I think the people are here for it. Might, like I said, we might split it into two. Let's see how it goes. Maybe so, four. <laughs> um, so going back, like I said, we talked about the first few years back. I think that got us to like maybe like 2010-ish. So you're probably about five, six years into your studio journey. How, like, did you feel like you were sort of always on the up and up there or... What happened around that, those sort of next five years? We're talking I wasn't... About this is going to sound so... It's such a different journey to you, but yeah, my thing was never, ever numbers, money, making money. I actually didn't ever care about any of that stuff um, and struggled hugely financially through the whole thing and, you know, really badly. But I was about innovative routines. We were winning so many competitions um, 
Our kids were doing things that were different. So I was always very careful to never follow a trend, but to always be the trend setter. Mm. And I think I was seen as that looking back on it now, um, very much so was seen as that person. 2010 was when we had to move studios and that was a big scary thing for us because we didn't have the money to do it. So um, I remember that being a really stressful event and it was literally that the people who owned the building wanted to put their stuff in there and we had to move out, you know. So that was really huge. That was also when we had BB, so that was massive as well. Um, so yeah, I think, um, it just wasn't important to me. Like I wouldn't even know my numbers from back then. I wouldn't know how many kids I had. I wouldn't know how much money I was making. I know we just we managed such to scrape through. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I know I just managed to scrape through, but I was at every comp, every solo comp. I was so invested in the kids. We had kids going on to professional careers all the time. Um, and that was my main focus. If kids couldn't afford it, no worries. You can have a full scholarship. Like I was just so invested in that side of it yeah. and never invested in the business. Yeah, so fair to say the results and the training, absolutely incredible off the charts, but the, the business side of it, a little bit. I didn't even care. I literally did not care at all. And it's that thing, right? Because when you're in your early 20s, you, can, you don't need a lot of money. There's, you know, that going on as well, yeah. like, you know. Yeah, I guess so. I also, like, I don't know, I didn't have kids. I mean, we just had, probably baby was maybe the turning point, only because then you've got to look after another human, so yeah. things get a bit more serious. But I don't know. We just, I don't know how I got through that time, mm. to be completely honest with you. I really don't. Financially, I don't know at all how I got through it. You just scrape through. You just manage to make it work. Week to week, sort of almost. Sorry? Like week to week, basically. Oh, we would, yeah, totally week to week. Um, I was still teaching piano. I know that for a fact. So I still had that. Um, and that was good cash in hand kind of money, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how I did it. But I was so, I did, it didn't worry me. Yeah. I was so yeah. passionate about what I was doing. It was irrelevant. Made it work. Yeah. What about you, Amanda? The next sort of few, we talked <laughs> about. Same. <laughs> we, we got <laughs> Well, just for that first four or five years that we talked about, you sort of outgrew that first building in Kiama. Yeah. And that was maybe, what, 2008-ish, 9-ish from memory? Yeah, maybe even a little bit earlier. Um, look, yeah, I always knew the numbers. I was always uh, driven. You know, I wanted to be super young to buy a house. I bought a house by myself at... Uh, 21 I think or 20 something pretty young and like that was always like a big driver for me not about making huge amounts of money but having uh, financial independence it wasn't so much about the amount of money but I just wanted to be able to do it by myself I think that was a big thing for me um, but I worked my ass off as well in a lot of ways mm. in retrospect I, w I wish I worked harder at the time um, but you know I'd get up and start working on the studio at you know I'd sleep in because we all did that, right? Totally. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would start working on the studio at 10 o'clock in my pyjamas um, and, you know, still be at the studio at 10 p.m. at night. Every night I'd be at every comp, I'd be doing all those things and investing a lot of money back into my studio. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a bit different that I didn't teach huge amounts. I, I always taught but never, like, not every day right. kind of thing. I, I actually really enjoyed being on reception at the time. And using that time, um, yeah, Beck's shaking her head. This is this a podcast, and you cannot say. But Beck is shaking her head because I actually really enjoyed that. 
um, which she's like, what? No, I hate being on, <laughs> even funny. to this day, yeah. I hate being on reception. Like, and I don't think I've ever done it in my studio mm. ever. Um, and it is such a passionate hate yeah. for me. It's crazy. It's but I would have taught from, th- well, I know I got up at 7.30 a.m. for privates every single morning, yeah. probably from 2010 when we got the new studio, mm. just because privates started to become a big yeah. thing because we were so good at comp. And then I know I taught from 3 till 9.30 every, every day. single yeah. day. And Saturday was 8 till 8. Like it yeah. was hectic. My teaching schedule was out of control. Mm, that's but that's crazy. what I love doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, kept growing my studio. I think we got to, you know, we moved to that new location uh, in Kayama, which is a really small town for those people that don't know. Like Kayama is... Um, 15, 16,000. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we hit, like, we got to about 500 there, maybe students wow. there. Um, a little bit more and like you know it was impressive it's funny we were talking yesterday the inspired unemployed which is like a big like comedy sketch group uh who are yeah guys who actually a uh, few of them danced in the studio yeah as kids um did a podcast recently and they were talking about back in the day all the hot girls from school went to dance sensations. Every girl in your whole class went to dance <laughs> sensations. You couldn't walk in without every girl going, yeah, I go to dance. And that's what it was like, honestly, because yeah, right. when we had 500 uh, kids in a very small town, um, yeah, we had most of the girls at some point. Um, <laughs> couldn't go to Woolies. Woolies was crazy. Um, but, yeah, it was amazing. Like, I loved it. I was passionate about it. Um, I always tried to innovate, but less so in the choreography like you were talking about in the teaching because that wasn't so much my wheelhouse but always you know hey let's try a different website let's try and add this way let's be the first person to do it like that was what I was uh, passionate about um, putting out I didn't really know what I was doing to be honest but trying lots of different things um, and probably, seeing how it went probably the same thing that Beck was talking about right? Beck was talking about from a choreography standpoint mm. wanting to be the innovator and, and the leader, not the follower. And I think that's definitely what you were always doing at, at DS from a, like you said, a business and a marketing sense. Absolutely. Like, you know, very long time ago and, um, you know, I was looking at how different people were marketing and, you know, I didn't have the... Uh, well, to be honest, like I didn't even know how to look at things like that, you know, to read a business. It never occurred to me to read a business book or do anything, but I'd be like, hey, that's cool how that company does that. That's a completely different industry. How could I do that in my business? Mm, Let me try yeah. things. And so I was just constantly um, tinkering. I want to say tinkering, like, you know, like changing the website up, you know, really focusing on graphic design. That was a really big thing for me always. Before most people had um, websites. Yeah. Like and, you know, it's like... I am a bit of a tech nerd. Uh, my dad and I, um, you know, built a studio software system um, together um, before most people had studio software systems, before there were all these incredible things. We built one ourselves. Mm. Um, and I love tinkering with that because I wanted to, I'm like, hey, no, I need it to be able to report this. I need to know this number. And so we would work on it, you know, and uh, go through the coding and stuff like that uh, to do that. So I like, I am a bit of a nerd that way. I'm so shocked by your story. Are you shocked by that? No, I'm shocked by so many things that we're both talking about. Really? You didn't know I was a big nerd in that? I've gotten less so just because I don't, um, I, I feel like Nathan's taken over my nerd brain. But yeah, I always loved coding. I always loved that kind of stuff. Um, my dad uh, works in IT, so we did a lot of that together. Um, and I wanted to be a graphic designer. That was always my other career choice was a graphic designer. 
So I love doing those things. I love trying something different, seeing how that worked. Yeah, tinkering with things like that. And I was really impressed to get to 500 um, in such a small town, uh, 500 students. Um, it was a big deal in our town. Yeah, I was okay. well known. I was it's a big yeah, deal in any sure. town. Yeah. Miss Amanda. It's a big everywhere. deal in any town. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah, amazing. So, jumping back to you, Beck, where, like, yeah, I, and I, know, I think I sort of know parts of the answer to this, but I think this was like sort of around the time when you started thinking, shit, or over the next few years at least, like, I need to start focusing on my business. What was that turning point? It was somewhere in the next few years there that you were like, oh. nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not there yet. Not there yet. Buckle okay. in, this is a long podcast episode. <laughs> I, think, I was just actually thinking about this. I'm like, yeah. We were so top heavy. Why was I so top heavy? What I mean by top heavy was I had 45 seniors and zero preschoolers or juniors, mm. right? So I was just actually thinking about that then because we, we won so many competitions. Like we, it was hectic. Um, and what happened was, and why I wanted to mention this, Nath, is because I'm such a big believer in this. I actually started teaching at local schools. Mm. And the reason I started teaching at local schools, I mean, you're going to laugh at this. I wanted to always teach Rocker Stedford because I wanted to create oh. pieces for Rocker Stedford. Oh, my God. Such a dream. I always used to watch those on TV and go, because my school never did it. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Right. Yeah. So all I wanted to do was teach Rocker Stedford, not for any other reason, not to get students into my school, but literally because... For the choreography. I wanted then, to yeah. choreograph it and create it, right? Yeah. So I started teaching Rocker Stedford at Springwood High School and so many of those kids filtered into my school and I got second in Rocker Stepford, so oh. yeah. Anyway, um, I was I feel like, like I need to see the video of the Rocker Stepford. Oh, you totally piece. do. No, I don't know how I got second in. <laughs> anyway, um, and I think that was probably what kept my school alive for a very long time. Um, and then you know we got choreographers in like Stephen Tanos, and it was yeah, we were just so top heavy. Anyway, yes, you're right, Nathan. So eventually we got to a point where we were just not making any money at all and I couldn't afford anything and I think I'd broken up with my husband at that time and was single mum and I had this fuck I've got to really fix this shit moment so I invested in a one-on-one mentor and I went to him every week or every fortnight I can't remember for exorbitant amounts of money like a money that I absolutely couldn't afford I'm pretty sure it was $500 a fortnight which for me at the time was ridiculous money right mm. and um I went and just cried for the hour session when I say cried and you guys know I'm not a crier but yeah. I was a crier back in the day so I cried for the entire hour straight about how I had to sell my studio and it was so forlorn and I just I was so overwhelmed I couldn't do any of it and so I think I went to him for about probably 10 sessions of me crying and then one session he sat me down, which was the best moment of my whole life and completely life-changing, and said to me, you can keep coming to me and crying for, and I'll keep taking your money. There's no issue with that. Or you can actually fucking do some of the shit that I'm telling you to do. Go back and implement it. Start doing this stuff and you might turn your life around. That was the biggest moment because mm. I actually was like, yeah, you're just being a victim and a whinger. And if you actually just hunker down and work hard, you're going to crush this. Like I was working hard in my business, but in other creative, you know yeah. what I mean? Like ways. Well, it's like, kind of like I was saying, you were working on creating an incredible product. 
Oh. And that's only half the journey. If you can create, you can either be incredible at, not either, but there's two main parts of it, right? You create an incredible, amazing product, or you have incredible, amazing marketing with an okay product. But if you have somewhere where both of those yeah, things are Yeah, that's where it oh. makes it amazing. But Neith, like I was, we were creating great marketing. I just wasn't putting it out there. Like when you're talking about looking at marketing, like we did stuff that was so different to everyone mm. else and we had everyone dressed so cool, which was cool yeah. back in the day yeah. with like ballerinas and point shoes. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. create, like all of that was there. We just didn't ever put any effort into actually putting it out there. Mm. And it was kind of when Facebook ads were first coming out and this mentor really like helped me with how to do that. And it was very hard for me to get my head around that. Like I'd have to film him doing it and go home and really work. Like I worked my guts out at that a hundred percent. Um, but that was the game changer. And what sort of year moment. are we talking there? Like oh, God. 14? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yep. So about 10 years into your studio journey? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. That was sort of the real turning point. So you've been running an incredible business for about ten years before, and like, and been just sort of scraping by. Well, and in, I think I'd been running a terrible business, Nath. But yes, like a terrible business with a great product. With yeah, I get. I don't even know if it was a great product. I mean, we were getting kids great careers and doing all that stuff. But was it a great product? Not marketing and business wise that I know now. No, no the, core, the, the core product of dance classes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my main focus. Yeah, 100%. Running amazing classes, for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Amanda, back to the, the DS journey. We're sort of at that point, you just moved into the new building. You sort of... New building was sweet. That was great. Yeah. Um, we had a building in Kiama, as I said, about 500 kids, uh, three studios. Um, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. But we were doing well financially. I'm, I don't want to come across the wrong way as it, I was all about money because I was very much in, about investing back into my studio. But I was happy with how we were doing, which was really exciting. Um, we uh, had had baby number one, um, first one, Azalia. Um, and everything was doing really well in the studio. Crushing it, you know, I felt like I had everything under control. I had really great systems. We were having good cash flow. We were having things come in. But I am a let's keep growing, let's keep growing, this is getting too easy kind of a person. No. No. <laughs> Shocking news, right? <laughs> um, and I want to keep innovating. And because we'd been there for like three years, I was like, four years, I was like, yeah, cool, I can, I can do more than this. Um, so we had always been looking um, in Shell Harbour. Those of you who know the area, uh, Shell Harbour, Shell Cove, Flinders uh, is a huge, big um, growing, growing area. It's a big uh, development site, housing development site. Um, so we'd always been like, oh, if we could just move up there, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. It's about 15 minutes north of us. Um, and that's sort of the place. And look, we had been looking, we'd been looking, we're like, oh, I hadn't found anything. Nothing had been quite right. Uh, we had the opportunity to buy, look, this is probably a lot of information, but let's just go with it. It's that kind of a podcast today. <laughs> um, we'd had the opportunity, uh, came up to buy our absolute dream property, Nathan and I. Uh, we had a one-year-old. Uh, yeah, so we were still in our late, um, in our 20s. Um, we were building... Um, I had more hair. <laughs> you definitely had more hair at the time. Uh, we had a baby. Um, and we, like at the time, it was a million plus house 
which was crazy. Thanks. Sorry, guys, interrupting, but I am just filling up the champagne. Wait, we just have to pause, <laughs> pause the stories. No, we're going to keep it rolling for a champagne feel. Um, so thanks, Nate. So we had uh, we. It was a very expensive house at the time. We're like, yeah, no, cool. This is great. Like, look at us. We're millionaires and we're in our twenties. This is awesome. Uh, and then we decided uh, a property came up for sale for a studio and I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, I have to have this. I need to have this property. Uh, it was over a million dollars as well, which at the time, I know a million dollar properties now is not a big deal, but at yeah. the time it, it was, this totally. is uh, 10 years ago. Um, we are like, we're gonna have to work our ass off to be able to afford this. This is gonna be crazy. I was like, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's hold off having any more kids. We signed the contract. Uh, it was an old um, original uh, workers club. So it has um, the keg lines, the bar. It, it had turned into a, a Macedonian uh, function, wedding center. Uh, so it was really pretty with, you know, there was a lot of chul going on <laughs> and a lot of dead bugs inside said chul. Um, <laughs> and uh, a very interesting property. Um, commercial kitchens, all the things. Um, we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go all in. We look, we barely scraped together the money. Um, it came from a multitude of places. We're like, we're going to make this work. We're going to hold off having kids. We're going to work our ass off. We're going to run two studios. This is going to be awesome. We signed the contract to buy this property, um, which is a big investment for any studio owner to buy a dance for studio. For any person. <laughs> and this property is, uh, square meters it's a very big property um, and uh, we're like yeah cool let's make this work and we went out and had a champagne the night we celebrated uh, purchasing the property I had one glass of champagne and went oh I don't feel good because I was pregnant of course and I was like holy shit <laughs> how am That's I gonna really do this <laughs> have I not told you this story I was no. pregnant with Gigi. I went, oh, how does this happen all on the one night? Anyway, we decided that we were going all in. Um, yeah. This was the end of 2014. Uh, at the same time, we were finishing our house that we were building, bought this property and had to renovate it. I was very pregnant. I get very sick when I'm pregnant as well. I'm a let's vomit every day kind of a person, same multiple same. times of the day. Yeah. So much fun. Um, and we we're going to run two studios. Um, we were opening the studio in the February, 1st of Feb, you know, as you do. Um, I was due in March. Um, we had a whole heap of legal issues as well with yeah. a company that went bankrupt that was supplying our floors. Like it was all this stuff going in, on. So sorry to jump in, um, but I was in, Gigi was born on the 10th. Of March, yeah. Of March, and I think on the 13th of March, I was at MCAT Tribunal leaving Randa in hospital with Gigi catching the train to Sydney to go and try and front this arsehole that went off with $30,000. That we didn't have was the issue. Yeah, yeah, so we had no floor, we had to open. Anyway, so we opened this incredible place. Um, we renovated it the best we could with the money we had. We opened with uh, three studios at Shell Harbour. We still had three in Kiama. Um, we basically like blocked off half of the, um, the space. The yeah, because we just couldn't afford to renovate the other side. Uh, Nathan left his job, which is another like thing that went on in that time, uh, to come work uh, in the studio full time. And we're like, woofed, we're all in now. We've got to make this work. We mm -hmm. talked about worst case scenarios, uh, and we are very lucky that our worst case scenario would be 
well, yes, we lose everything financially, but um, you know, I could move in with my parents. Like we had those opportunities, which is mm. you know a very privileged place to be in. Can I just say I think that's yeah. really interesting because. I think people who take risk in business, and I'll talk more about this probably mm. later in this, but you you do think of, or I always do this. Mm. I'm like, let's take the risk. What is the absolute worst yeah, that, thing that could happen? Yep. And it's like, okay, my worst case scenario is I'm living with my parents or I'm living, like, I think that's interesting that you say that because mm. it's like you've thought about the worst case and you're like, fuck it. Yeah. You know what? Let's just do it. Let's fucking I work can live with that. that. I can not, live with that worst case. It's not fuck it and let's not do anything and let's just hope it works. It's fuck it and let's work our guts out. Mm. But I feel like sometimes that's why the three of us work as well because we do take that risk. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt you, Jim. Oh, oh, I think that's really relevant. And I'm going to interrupt as well. If anybody listening along, I think it's important. Um, book I just read, The Psychology of Money, talks a lot about this from an investing point but also a business point that everybody has a different risk profile. And you might be listening to this and thinking, oh my God, I could never do that. And that's totally fine. But just making sure that you then adjust your goals as to what level of risk you're willing to take. Yeah. For us, we were willing to take that level of risk to try and hit it out of the park and have the huge financial rewards in the future. Mm. And that's fantastic. And that helps us put our head on the pillow at night. That's what the book talks about as well. That some people, if they're leaving too many, if they're not taking enough risks, they can't sleep because they yeah. lie there at night going, what if I did this? What if yeah. I did this? I should be doing this. Mm. Mm. But some, yeah, yeah. Some people take the risk and lie awake at night going, oh my God, I can't believe I've done this. I'm in so much Like whatever yeah. your risk profile is, be happy and comfortable with it. It's mm. a real, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. And just like, to be super clear, I have a really high risk profile and always have. So this Where time- Where do I do this risk profile? Yeah. I've never done a risk yeah. profile. Yeah, so no, you have a high risk profile. I guarantee it. <laughs> Because you're willing to take the calculated risk yeah. To, yeah. to get the reward and, like you said, put in the work for it. So, yeah, to be super clear, I was, uh, you know, in my 20s, uh, we were $2.5 million in debt uh, all of a sudden in about a six-month period. Nathan left his job and I was pregnant and we're like, hey, let's make this work, yeah. you know, and that's like, and obviously, um, you know, that was 10 years ago and things have changed for sure. Um, but we were like, we've got to make this work. Mm. Um, I have to work my ass off. Yeah. Um, and look, in retrospect, I, I don't suggest doing that with a baby. <laughs> was not great for my mental health at the time. But I wouldn't change it for the world. No. I did it and I, and I made it work. Um, yeah. And yeah, we ran two studios uh, for a while. We opened that studio. Uh, we kept running Kayama. We had like the 500 kids at Kayama. And we opened the Shell Harbour one. Um, I can't remember. I think we opened about with about 120. Yeah, 120, 130, I think. Yeah, which was we were stoked about because we didn't really have enough time to advertise it. We opened week one of term one with a, that kind of number, which was awesome. Uh, and I think we finished that year with 200. Um, right. well, yeah, excess of that sort of thing. Um, and was absolutely over the moon. We had an awful like six months, couldn't afford groceries, had mm. to get parents help to buy nappies, like, you know, with cash flow problems mm. more so. Mm. But by the end of that year, we're like, this was the right choice. Mm. We're Amazing. on our way. Amazing. So we might pause there on the DS journey for a second. So back to... Ooh, we're, we're, we're very all over the place. I hope our listeners can tell our... Our listeners can Yeah, yeah, they can follow along. So we're back, back to the pause journey, back, and you just sort of been with this mentor, got your loving kick up the ass, 
and starting to focus more on the business? What do the next sort of few years look like after you've really taken that plunge? Oh, um, I don't think I ever really let go of the creative side of things and I still don't think I have. I, no, st I still like, I love it. I love to be a leader in our field in that. I think it's really important to me. Um, you got to do what makes you happy in your business. Yes, and it, uh, and I I genuinely still do love teaching and love all the things. I think um, I was I don't know if I I don't know if it was my mentor that said this or if I listened to someone, but I was in a business group, which is where we met, obviously. Yeah. Um, and someone About seven said or eight to, years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone said to grow from the bottom up, and I, I can't remember if that was a person who spoke. Anyway, whatever. So I started really marketing preschool at the time. Twelve preschoolers, mm. and most of those were siblings of kids who were at. Yeah, I don't think any of them were for me outsourcing them, and so that's when I started doing consistent marketing behind preschool, which is why I'm so passionate about this because I think when you consistently market behind preschool, they come in. They're your biggest fans. And let me tell you, I was teaching every preschool class at that time. Like, I think there's this big facade around me that I've always had this massive team and every and and I didn't do anything. Like, I was teaching every class every yeah. morning, you know, doing all the things. Um, and so, yes, that cons consistent marketing, possibly by the end of that year, we had 40 preschoolers. And then that turned into, you know, 100, 200 as you know, my peak's been 300. And I think that then grew into us having a great six and unders. And then it grew into us having eight and unders. And now we can see our 10 and unders are huge. And so it's yeah. like, now we've got this massive school, but it was that starting point of those preschoolers that made the change. For so sure. we're going back about what year is it like 12 preschool students? About what year were we talking Seven about? years, maybe? I don't know, when did we meet in the business? I think it was seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's about 2016. And that's what like that's why Guys Bex so passionate about all of this, because yeah, it was literally just that, you know, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, that her preschool numbers were at that. And that's why like I, I think that's why we resonate with so many studio owners, right, guys, is because as people have heard through the last however long we've been talking, that Or a hundred podcasts that they've or been listening to. But <laughs> You guys have been through like every single Absolutely. step of the journey, right? Like taking over a studio with 14 students to getting start like to be crushing local, state, national level comps, but only having 12 preschool students and barely having enough money to survive. To, get, like, yeah. to survive, like to 300 preschool students, like every single step of the journey, like you guys have gone through, is what we're sort of seeing today. Oh, 100%. And I think the reason that we are so passionate, I, I'm speaking for the three of us now, is we know that every studio owner that we work with is passionate about teaching kids, about Absolutely. changing lives. You know, yes, I, I love getting kids to a career, but I also love how dance changes lives. And when, when we talk to other studio owners and teachers, we know that's why they do what they do and they're passionate about it. But you fucking deserve to earn money and Absolutely. you deserve to earn great money. every person. 100% yeah. and I think that is the key to why we speak so passionately, why we, you know, do all the things that we do is because for me and I know for both of you, we now want every person to get the money they deserve for the fucking hard work they put in yeah. and for the lives that they are changing mm -hmm. and that that's what we're all about. And how would you say that your life's changed in the last 
seven to eight years when you've, you've gone from where you were to the, the type of money you're earning as a studio owner now? Oh, it's exponential. And I mean, you know, we're giving our family the life of their dreams. I'm giving myself the life of my dreams. Um, I still work fucking hard. I'm not going to say I don't work hard. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm now just chilling and life's great. You know, but we get amazing experiences. My kids want for nothing. And I think, yeah, like, but it is changing the way you're doing things and a different focus and just thinking smart about business and and most, not just about the incredible dance. Oh, 100%. And most yeah. studio owners don't know this stuff. That's the thing. Like, how yeah. many studio owners do we talk to that don't get into owning a studio? Because Hardly any of them want to get into it because they love business. No. Like, because you know, they love teaching dance or they're a good dance teacher. Or their life was changed through dance. Yeah. Or, you know, they had an amazing journey. Whatever it might be, that's really what it is. It's never really, oh, I want to own a great business. But mm. I think if they can learn both, then... Yeah, and crush life. That's what Nathan said before. It's like that happy medium of both, right? Yeah. That to have them both together, that's when magic happens. When you can, yeah, earn the money you deserve for the amount of effort that you put in. Like money makes the world go round. There's no doubt about that. So we need to, yeah, get out what we put in, sort of thing. Well, fuck me, guys. I feel like we've been talking for so long. Oh, my God. I said that at the start, right? Uh, There's still so much more to tell, but I feel like this has probably gone on for long enough and we can do some more episodes on different things that have happened. Um, But it's been amazing chatting about – I couldn't even remember all the stuff that happened, Nath, but you've really brought me back. (laughs) Look, there were some deep – That's a good thing or a bad thing. It's good. I loved it. There were some deep and personal moments. We all learned something about each other. Yeah. It was amazing. But, yeah, let's definitely keep finishing this on another podcast after we haven't already been in your ears for an hour. Amazing. (laughs) Look, thank you so much, everybody, not only for listening today, but for the last 99 episodes. Like we said at the start, we cannot believe that we are at episode 100 now and that we've still got, obviously, so much to say because we're still going after this long. (laughs) But, like, we absolutely love doing it. We absolutely love helping dance studio owners build the studio of their dreams because as you've heard like beck and amanda have both built the studios of their dreams right absolutely yes absolutely it would mean the absolute world to us if you could share this podcast with someone Mm. take a you know screenshot of yourself uh listening to it post it on your stories share it with another friend that's a dance studio owner that's how we reach more people uh you know Put a review on Spotify, Apple, because that's how we reach more people and that would mean the absolute world to us and we would be so appreciated, uh, appreciative if you did that for us on our 100th episode. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs>